Good morning. How's everybody doing? Come on in. There's plenty of seats. There's stuff right, seats right down here. A couple spots over here. Um, my name's Drew. I'm the next step, or I'm, I was the next steps pastor. I'm the associate pastor now um, here at Calvary. We're glad that you're here today. A couple of announcements before we get started. Um, you'll hear later in the video announcements um, that today we were going to put new Calvary uh, car stickers on your windshield wipers today. Put them underneath there in case you wanted those. The rain has since changed those plans, and so you will not find these on your car, but they will be available as soon as you walk out the doors after service is over. We'll have some students that will be there that if you would like one of these, please take one. Um, now, if you are one of those people where your driving is not one that we want Calvary's name to, um, that's okay. You can take them um, and put them on a travel mug. You can put them on um, your computer, your laptop, something like that. But please, if you're interested, please take one. Um, we have those available for you. Second announcement. Uh, we are um, having student community this evening. And originally, we were going to be doing a bonfire worship night outside. Again, Mother Nature has changed those plans, and we will not be doing that this evening. But we still are going to meet. We're going to meet over at the um, Pizza Hut on Sagamore Parkway at 6 o'clock. And so if you have a middle school that you are going to drop off, you can drop them off there and pick them up there. Um, church is going to pay for pizza. Uh, the drink's on you. And so it can be a free night if your students are okay with water. Um, if not, they're responsible for drinks and taking care of that. But that will happen tonight, 6 o'clock, Pizza Hut um, on Sagamore Parkway. If you are a middle schooler or a high schooler, um, I hope you can join us. It's a great time of fellowship, time to hang out, build relationships with students um, either at school or in some of the area schools. Third announcement is, is this, with a little bit of an apology, I'm getting over a sinus infection. Last service went okay, uh, but I have a water up here. If I start to get choked up, it's not because of the content, but because of the content of my nasal passages. Um, and so I pray, uh, so just be patient with me as I... Um, try to do my best to, to talk this morning. We're in the middle of a series titled, Where There's Smoke. And last week, Daniel talked specifically about looking at some sins of the heart and how sins of our heart, how we can identify some smoke and some areas where some fires might start to burn later on. And how do we get in front of that and recognize some of the smoke ahead of time? And how all of those, especially the sins of the heart, can affect all of our relationships. And so today, I'm going to talk about one of those first and primary relationships being in marriage. And you may be thinking, this church talks a lot about marriage. Yes, we do. And that's not something that we apologize for, for two reasons. Two, not one, two reasons. Two reasons we do not apologize for that. One, Marriage is the primary expression that God has given us to demonstrate to the world of what our relationship to Christ is like. And so we want to make sure that we are given an accurate and the best depiction possible. Secondly, we also know that marriage is really difficult. And marriage in the church today is even, we're starting to see, is harder and harder and more difficult. And we want to make sure in the Big C Church and in our local expression of that here at Calvary, that we give it the time, attention, so that our marriages here can flourish. 
so that our marriages here can continue to grow strong, that we want to pay attention to that. So we are going to continue today in Matthew 5. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Matthew 5. We're going to be in verses 31 and 32. This is Jesus' teaching on marriage, and we're going to talk about that a little bit today. Now, before we get there, I want to say a couple things. First of all, the reason we're also putting some time and energy towards this is a lot of times from our end, as a pastoral and a church staff, we find out that marriages are going through a tough time when it's already too late. When these fires have been burning for a while and we find out it's already a little bit too late. So we're hoping that through some of this, we give you some tools, some tips, and using God's word to help you recognize that before it happens. Second thing is this. I come to you guys today with fear and trepidation talking about this. I don't want you guys to assume, and I'm sure you don't, but just in case that we have it all figured out, that Lisa and I have marriage figured out and everything's going great. So before we get into that, I just want to put a few things out there. Some of my shortcomings in marriage so that we understand what equal playing field we're on. First of all, when I get mad or if I get upset, if something doesn't go my way, I get passive aggressive and I distance myself. And so things can go wrong, and I will not like how things are going, and I will quietly just ignore everything that's going on, be passive-aggressive with Lisa, and this is something that I'm working on. I have another bad habit. I will say that I'm going to do something, and then I don't do it. Anybody else? So that's something else I'm working on. I say I'm going to do something, but I don't follow through with what I say I'm going to do. And Lisa tells me often, I wish you would say you're not going to do it, because when you say you're going to, I assume that's what's going to happen, and then you don't. Another thing, I have a bad habit of making plans before I ask Lisa about those plans. <laughs> this is what's going to happen, and she comes back and says, I wish you would have asked me, or I wish you would have consulted me about this, and I've already made those plans, something I'm working on. And finally, another thing that I really struggle with is there will be times when we're driving, and Lisa will try to assist me from getting into a vehicle, uh, an accident. She's trying to be my eyes for me, and I tend to overreact and take it as a threat and her viewing me not as a good driver, and I tend to overreact and blow up in those situations. Anybody else? So those are some of my shortcomings that happened this week. So that's where I'm at. Know that I am working on my marriage, trying to be a better spouse, and hopefully that levels the playing field that we are trying our best, and I am trying my best to do what God has done in our lives and to demonstrate to the world what marriage looks like, but I fall short every day. And so hear me say that I come to you today with fear and trepidation, trying to give you guys some tools, give us some tools so that our marriages can thrive and can flourish. Matthew 5, 31 through 32 says this, It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her a victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Fun passage. Thanks, Daniel. Appreciate that. A little context here, though, before we get going. When Jesus says, you've heard it been said, what he is doing at that point is 
helping the people who are listening remember some teachings from the law in the Old Testament. The law was something that God had given the Israelites in the time of the Old Testament so that they could look different than the other tribes and people that were around them. So he had given them this law of the right and the best way to live. And here specifically, we're looking at Deuteronomy 24.1, and we're going to lo- actually look at that passage here in a little bit. But Deuteronomy 24.1 is specifically what Jesus is referring to here. And the problem is that the Israelites took the law so seriously but by, that by the time Jesus shows up on the scene, they are, so, they are worshiping this law. They are pay t- paying attention more to the law than to people. And what Jesus is trying to do in this Sermon on the Mount, what he's trying to do is pull their attention away from the law and focus it on the person. And so that's what we're going to try to do today, is we're going to try to pull our eyes away from what the law or what is lawfully right and what is best for the person. I also don't want to go on any further without addressing that this is a hot-button verse, that pastors and churches and the church itself has used this verse to, to shame, to hurt, and to use it to scorn people. What I want to do today is not look at this verse from face value, but what I want to look at is the deeper work that I think Jesus is talking about here. And not just the blanket statement of what it is, But what is Jesus actually calling our attention to? It's easy for us just to take it at face value and not really see, okay, what was Jesus really trying to communicate here? And that's my hope for us today, is that we'll pay attention to what Jesus actually wants us to pay attention to through this teaching. So as I said, the first thing is this. We need to start shifting our focus away from the command or the law to the person. And here, specifically, It's to the woman. The Old Testament law was so focused on how to properly carry out a divorce and properly how to end a marriage. And Jesus is saying, no, pay attention to the person and how it's going to affect them. And the way that we get there, the way that the Israelites got there, and the way that we continue to get there today And where we can start to notice there's smoke in our marriages is this. When we start to focus more on the law and not on love. When we truly love someone, we think of what's best for them. We are focused on their needs and not our needs. Focused on their desires and not our desires. Lisa and I right now have the opportunity to do premarital counseling with a couple that I'm going to be officiating the wedding for in October. And it's been a great opportunity to get to know this couple. I, he was um, this tall when I was in youth group, and so it's crazy that I get to do his wedding now. But they have chosen to do, um, the book that they wanted to read was by Francis and Lisa Chan called You and Me Forever. And this is a book that I hadn't read prior to this, but I said since this was the book they wanted to do, that we would read it along with them. And I've loved the premise and the idea of this book. The idea behind it is that in marriage, the primary goal is to help your spouse prepare to spend eternity with Jesus. That that is your primary goal as a husband or as a wife 
is to prepare your spouse to spend eternity with Jesus. So many times we want to make marriage about ourselves and how it can benefit us. And even how can it benefit our life and things here. And what this is calling us to, what this book is calling us to, and us to pay attention to, is how are we helping our spouse become a better person, become closer to Jesus, and prepare them for eternity with God. And it's one of those things that I'm going through this with a couple who's about to get married, and it has been so beneficial for Lisa and I to walk through it together, to start paying attention to some of these things, because again, we're selfish people. And most of the time, our view in marriage is not for the betterment of our, of our spouse, but it's for the betterment of us. And my encouragement to us today is that we would get our eyes off the law and off ourselves, and we would focus on love. What are some signs that there might be smoke in your marriage when it comes to this? We start saying things like, maybe we say it out loud, maybe we say it in our head, things like this, I deserve, or I have the right, or you should be, or I just want to be happy. We start saying and thinking these things, and when that starts to happen, our, our mind starts to shift. Again, I've had the privilege to do a handful of marriages, and most of the time on the wedding day, most of the husbands and the wives are not starting to think already selfishly how they're going to gain in this marriage. They're so excited to be married, to love one another, to come around each other, to spend life together, that they're not starting to think about themselves. They truly are thinking about the other person. But over time, things start to change, and things start to shift. And then slowly, our focus and attention shifts from the other person onto ourselves. And then our actions start to change. Jesus here in this passage is calling us above what is fair and what is right to do for what is best to do. Times were very different then than they are today. If a woman was served divorce papers, more than likely this was either ensuring that she would live a life of poverty or destitution, or it meant that she was going to have to get remarried. And if she was going to work, the only line or vocation that she could do was to become a prostitute. In that day and time, women did not have, or were not most of the time afforded to be able to provide themselves. That was not an opportunity that they were afforded. And so it meant that if they were served divorce papers, as the man had the right to do, that their life was dramatically going to change. Whether it's moving into a life of poverty or moving into a profession that was going to bring even more shame, more hurt, and more pain in her life. Dramatically different than what life is today. Deuteronomy 24.1 says this. This is what Jesus was referring to. He says, If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and gives it to her and sends her out of his house. And then out of that comes a whole bunch of different stipulations. But what this is saying here is this, that if a man decided all of a sudden, I'm not happy with you, I'm displeased, I found something indecent, I'm going to write you a paper of divorce, I'm going to hand it to you, and you have to go. And as I was preparing for this this week, I could not believe that. I can't imagine having that power 
that if I just was all of a sudden unhappy and displeased with my current situation, that I could just write a certificate of divorce, hand it to you, and you left, and you went on your way. And I would dramatically and drastically change that person's life. But as I thought about it more, as different as times are today than they were back then, as far as the role of women and the ways that women can provide for themselves, the selfishness and the desire to get divorced because we're just not happy anymore is just as prevalent today as it was back then. Jesus is calling us to more. Jesus is calling us to pay attention not only to the, what's going in our, on in our hearts, but to pay attention to what's going on in our spouse's life and in our spouse's heart. To choose love over law. Another area where you might be able to start to notice some smoke in your marriage is if you start to view marriage as a contract and not a covenant. Seeing it as a legal agreement that can be broken at any time instead of a covenant promise that more importantly is made before God and not just the state. It's important for us to remember that the biblical understanding of a covenant partnership is one where we work together with God. It's a partnership. We see God make covenants with Noah, Abraham, the Israelite people, and David. And as humans, they could not hold up their end of the bargain. They could not hold up their end of the partnership. So what was God's response? What did he do? Did he call them on that and say, oh, you couldn't hold up your end of the bargain, so I'm going to cut it off right there and I'm done with you? No, he doesn't do that. He sent Jesus to pick up the stuff that we couldn't do to fulfill our end of the bargain for our betterment and for the betterment of the partnership. If this was our contract, he would have had every right just to void that contract and say, I'm done. But no, he viewed it as a covenant, as a partnership that we were in this together and you're not able to hold up your end of the bargain, so what can I do to help you? What can I do to help us? That's the view of a covenant. That's the difference between a contract and a covenant. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> this is probably one thing I'm going to get some feedback from you guys on. I apologize, but this is just how my mind works. As I was thinking about this week, thinking about this idea of contract and covenant, my mind went to baseball. And baseball, again, I've said before, I'm a big New York Yankees fan. And right now, the manager for the New York Yankees is Aaron Boone. And Aaron Boone, before he was the manager for the New York Yankees, played for the New York Yankees as third baseman. And I'll never forget, as a freshman in college, watching Game 7 of the American League Championship Series, where the Yankees played the Red Sox. And Aaron Boone, with Pedro Martinez coming in, hits a game-winning, series-winning home run to left field. And I can remember jumping around, going crazy. Aaron Boone has just made himself a legend with the New York Yankees for the home run that he, beat, he hit to beat the Boston Red Sox and Pedro Martinez in Game 7 to send them to the World Series. Now, we don't need to talk about how the Florida Marlins swept them in the World Series after that. That's not the point. 
But Aaron Boone, in this moment, solidified himself in New York Yankee history. On January 16th, just two or three months later, Aaron Boone, in the offseason, was playing basketball. And Aaron Boone, while he was playing basketball, tore his ACL. Now, in Aaron Boone's contract, which is very similar to a lot of professional contracts, there are clauses that prohibit athletes to do certain activities. In Aaron Boone's contract was a clause that said, do not play basketball. If you injure yourself playing basketball, we as the New York Yankees have the right to void your contract. So Aaron Boone knew that. Aaron Boone knew when he went out to go play basketball that day that there was a chance that his $5.6 million option that had just been picked up by the New York Yankees could go away. Tore his ACL, and wouldn't you know, just a couple days later, the New York Yankees cut Aaron Boone. This hero that had just sent them to the World Series now became such a liability that they didn't think what was best for Aaron Boone and his family. They did what was best for the organization and to make sure that they were able to save money and go get a third baseman that was going to be able to play that year. They just cut him. And he didn't play for the New York Yankees ever again. That's what a contract look like. When we start to view our marriage as a contract and looking at what's best for, for me and how can I do what I want to do and how can I get what's best for me out of it, we start to act like the New York Yankees did there and forgetting the person and the family and saying we have every right. It is in your contract and we are going to take action and do what's best for us. But God sees our relationship with Him and wants us to see our relationship with our spouse as a covenant where we look out for the betterment of the other person. So you can say, Drew, this is great. Thanks for giving me all these ideas. Thanks for these thoughts. How do I put that into action? I've got something that's going to revolutionize your marriage. Ready? Get your phones out. You're going to take a picture of this. You probably won't believe it. One of the first steps you need to do and probably the most important steps if you want to identify and start putting out some of these fires in your marriage is to pay attention to your relationship with God. Revolutionary, I know. Pay attention to your relationship with God. And again, just like if your marriage goes south or is going south, it's probably not something that happened overnight. And vice versa, if your relationship with God is not good or is going in the wrong direction. It's probably not something that just happens overnight, but it's something that you haven't paid attention to for a while. And if we start to ignore our relationship with God, then eventually that's going to have a negative effect on all of our other relationships that we have. And then especially our marriages. Because if you are married in this room, you know that your spouse knows all of your good qualities and all of your bad qualities. And if that starts, if your relationship with God is going south, they are going to be the first one that is able to notice that and pick up on that. And hear me, I've got a six-year-old, a four-and-a-half-year-old, and a one-and-a-half-year-old. One I know that life gets busy, that there are responsibilities. There's a lot of things going on in life that can pull our tension away from our marriage. 
And we know more than likely that that person is going to be with us regardless. So I'm going to put that on the back burner. I'm going to pay attention to these things on the front burner that need attention right now. And what I'm going to tell you is if you put your relationship with God, who you know will forgive you that's full of grace, and you put your relationship with your spouse on that back burner, eventually the stuff on the front burners are going to take up so much attention that you forget what's back there. So if you want to start recognizing where some of the smoke might be in your marriage, pay attention to your relationship with God. Make that a priority. When we start to put rhythms and habits in our life that put our attention there, it helps us block out some of the other distractions of life. When it becomes a rhythm or a habit and a practice that you can do as an individual or as a couple, you will start to see your relationship with Christ and your relationships with others be transformed. So what could some of these practices look like? Well, as an individual, what does it look like for you just to have personal time with the Lord? Whether it's in prayer, reading or memorizing Scripture. I was at a breakfast with some other men yesterday morning, and we were challenged to what would it look like to get up 30 minutes early every morning so that God got the first and the best attention that you had. And one guy said, well, he's not getting my best attention, but he does get my first attention. But there's a practice there. There's a habit that no matter what's going to happen throughout the rest of my day, I'm going to focus and give my first attention to God. And when we start to put those rhythms and habits in place, we focus and we pay attention to those things. We just got done with a series on the Lord's Prayer taking a deeper look at that. What would it look like for you on a daily basis to pray through the Lord's Prayer? And look at it and understand, if you were to, let's just walk through it real quick. If you were to start your morning out every day praying the Lord's Prayer, this is what would happen. First of all, you would recognize who God is, that He is holy, that He is just, and that we are humbled just to be in His presence. Then from there, you move on to God, not my kingdom, but I submit my kingdom to your kingdom. And ultimately, I want your kingdom done like it's done in the heavens here on earth. Then you're going to move from moving your kingdom. Then you're going to move into, I trust your daily provision for me today. Once we get to the place we can trust his daily provision for our lives today, then we can move into, okay, God, help me forgive because I realize how much you've forgiven me and help my posture to be today one of forgiveness because I know that I'm here today because you have forgiven me. And then once we finally get to that place where hopefully we have a posture of forgiveness, then we're able to move in to ask God to show areas in our lives that we might be struggled to be tempted and have him ask him to come in and help us with that. Could you imagine if you started every day recognizing who God is, submitting your will to his, Trusting his daily provision for your life, understanding and having a posture of forgiveness and asking him to come in and, and work on those areas that you might be tempted. If you started every day like that, how would that transform your daily interactions with everybody else after that? I promise if you start to put these things into practice, God will transform your life, your marriage, your household. As a couple, what are some things you can do? Daniel says this often. Pray together. Pray together. 
If you need to, sit down and say, we haven't prayed yet today. Set an alarm on your phone. Sit down and pray together. Invest and engage in one another's life. Learn to listen to what the other person is passionate about and cares about and make time for those things. Submit to one another. Ephesians 5.21 says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And Paul here, when he's writing this letter to the Ephesians, before he expounds upon the roles of husbands and wives, he first instructs them to submit to one another because of Christ. Because Christ ultimately sacrificed his will, what he wanted done to his father's will, and what his father wanted done. And when we're able to put that act of submission into our marriages and able to think of the other person's needs of our, above our own because in light of what Christ has done for us, our marriages will start to change. And most importantly, with this idea of submission, in my opinion, what's going to happen here is that your spouse's light for you will shine more bright. And your spouse's light for Christ is going to shine more bright. Lee, I think is correct grammar. I apologize. But isn't that what we want? Isn't that what we want? Ultimately, if you're married in this room, ultimately, don't you want your wife or your husband to shine? Don't you want others to see how great, how lovely, how serving, how wonderful, how smart, how brilliant your spouse is? Don't we want to see our husbands and our wives flourish in their relationship with God to experience the peace, the love, the joy that comes with a relationship with Jesus? Ultimately, shouldn't that be what we want? And if that's true, the way we do that is mutually submitting to one another to put the other, other's betterment first. We want them to look great. We want them to shine. Now let me pause here before I finish up and talk to those in this room who are not married currently. I know sermons like this, and again, if you're here, maybe you checked out when you heard we were going to talk about marriage again, and this doesn't apply to you, so why am I here? I'm going to encourage you with one thing here. First of all, I know this is hard, and I'm sorry for that. And I hope that if it is a desire for you to be married, that that is an opportunity that you have. And I hope that you find a person that you can do life with. But what I would encourage you to do is don't just blow this message off and say this doesn't apply to me. But what I would encourage you to do is this, is to pay attention to these things in your life right now. If you hope to be married one day, if you hope that this is something that you're going to be able to do and to participate in and have someone, start to pay attention. Start to put the priority of your relationship with God in place now so that when you do have the opportunity to get married, the person that comes in doesn't complete you, but just adds to and is a benefit for the work that God is already doing in your life that you and God are doing together already, that they just get to come along for the journey with that. So many times we view marriage as a way of completion. But if we would view it as God and I are already on mission together, God and I are already spending every day together, my relationship with him is flourishing. And so this person is only, only going to come in and be an added benefit to that. That is my encouragement for you right now if you're not married. 
And the other encouragement is this. Look for these things in the people that you are hoping to spend your life with. If you want to be married and you want these things to be present in your marriage, look for someone else that has these things already in place. Because if there is someone who has these things in place already, if their relationship with God is the most important thing, if their pursuit of God trumps their pursuit of you, that is something that's going to continue even after you're married. It's a lot harder to add it back in if it's not. So I hope you hear today that this message is not just for people who are married. This message is for those who even hope to be married one day of how can you best prepare yourself to spend your life with another person. Now hear me say this. Marriage is not easy. And personally, as you heard, I have so much work to do. But I'm trying. I'm trying to put in the effort and the energy And my encouragement is that you do the same. I am so thankful for Lisa. I am so thankful for how patient she is with me. And I really do love doing life with her. So it breaks my heart for those whose marriages are suffering right now. And as I said earlier, a lot of times we're hearing these things. We're hearing about these marriages and the places that they're in when it's already too late. And that makes it even more difficult. So my encouragement to you is this, whether your marriage is good, whether your marriage is struggling, whether your marriage is just teetering on okay, find a small group of people that you can dive into and be honest with each other and check in with each other on how you're doing. Have a peer friend group that can check in with you and make sure, are you doing your, the things that you're supposed to be doing? that you have men gathering with men, checking in with each other, that you have women checking in with women, making sure that you're holding up and doing everything that you can to make your spouse flourish. And if you need counseling, please seek counseling. Don't see that as a weakness, but see it as an opportunity to grow. We partner with Wellspring. We have pastoral counselors here on staff that would, be, that would love to meet with you because we want to see your marriage flourish. We want you to be able to identify some of the smoke that's potentially there so that you can flourish later and it, so the fire doesn't get raging so much that it's out of control. So I'm way past time today. So thank you for listening. Monday morning application is this, and we're going to do this quick and get the band back up here. Money more application for everyone here. Spend at least 10 minutes each day focusing on your relationship with God. If you're already doing this, say you're doing a half an hour, add 10 more minutes. Add 10 minutes or put 10 minutes this week every day with the focus on you and God. Continue to add to that afterwards. But this week, if you're not doing anything, 10 minutes. And if you're married, this is my challenge. This week, spend one hour with your spouse. And I know it's VBS week and it's going to be busy, but I would encourage you, find one hour this week to spend with your spouse. And when you spend that hour, be intentional with it. Ask these questions. What are you currently excited about? What do you need prayer for? And then spend time praying for those together as a couple. Start putting these practices into place so that over time, 
God can start to transform your life and your marriage. Because like anything worth doing, it's going to take a while, but let's take those intentional steps now to make that happen. Let me pray for us. Father, we love you. We thank you for your grace that you show us, Lord. I pray um, that we would continue to get a better understanding of that so that we can extend that grace to those that we love most. And Father, I pray that we would start to choose love over what's lawful. Pray that we would start seeing our marriages as a covenant and not a contract. And that, Father, we would pay attention to our relationship with you above everything else. That we would pursue you with everything that we have. Ultimately, for the benefit of others. And not just for the benefit of ourselves. Lord, point out those areas in our life where we are selfish, where we want done what we want done when we want do it when we want it done, Lord. Help us to submit our will to your will, Lord, and to mutually submit our will and what we want to our spouses, Lord. And I pray specifically right now for the marriages in this church, for the marriages in this room, Lord, that they would flourish, that no matter where they're at, that they will take steps this week to improve their marriage, to take the steps to paint more an accurate picture of your love for us for how we love each other. We love you. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. It's your name we pray. Amen.